So tonight we're gonna drink ayahuasca. Triple J. It's definitely the worst tasting thing I've ever consumed in my entire life. With Tom Tilly. You're about to go deep inside an ancient spiritual ceremony. And it's not in the Peruvian jungle, it's in an Australian share house. We can't tell you where the share house is because these guys are doing something that's illegal. They're making their own ayahuasca. It's a powerful psychedelic tea made from a vine native to Peru. And traditionally, you take it over a number of days. It often involves prolonged vomiting and involuntary defecation. Uh, But people say they see amazing things. Someone once told me that it allowed them to see everything that had ever been thought in the world before. Another friend of mine said he fell in love with a tree. Um, Anyway, how is it being made in Australia? And is it dangerous given it's not being produced by South Americans who have a deep understanding of the tradition? Well, let's find out. Sarah McVie is in the lounge room of a share house where they make their own ayahuasca from locally grown plants. So it kind of looks like a children's slumber party in here, except with buckets for vomiting. There's four inflatable mats. It kind of looks like a strange camping jamboree. There's a lot of plants, and I don't mean kind of indoor plants. There's outdoor plants as well, acacias, which are Craig's favourite. We have a bunch of custom-controlled lights, and it's a strange hue of purple in there right now. And it smells like incense. And it smells like incense and ayahuasca. So Craig's just bashed up a whole bunch of the ayahuasca root using a hammer. This is ayahuasca vine from the east coast of Australia. Craig, and by the way, that's not his real name, is a clean-cut looking guy in his 20s with a professional 9 to 5 office job. He's invited me around to check out his DIY ayahuasca ceremony, which he's hosting for three of his mates in their share house. Now I'm just going to get it quite hot, almost to a boil. Just keep it at a simmer for three or four hours. And then I'll tip the water out and add fresh water and do that a few times. I do it because I think it's just good for my health, really. Jared's one of Craig's mates. He's been drinking ayahuasca on and off for years. And by the way, we're going to get to whether or not it is actually good for you a little later. Visually, either if your eyes are closed or your eyes are open, it's pretty fantastical. It can be pretty dark or it can be pretty just spectacular. Um, And afterwards, I tend to feel very, very relieved and light and energised and incredible. How would you describe the smell of ayahuasca? Oh, it makes me sick. It makes me absolutely sick. Um, One time when I drank it, I vomited back into the cup that I was drinking from, but because I I kind of felt the pressure to just keep going, so I swallowed the rest of it. It's definitely the worst tasting thing I've ever consumed in my entire life. People don't just vom because it tastes bad either. It's really common to spew and then get the runs when you take it. These guys call the process of vomiting purging. They say it cleanses them. Bodily excretions aside, ayahuasca is taken for the intense trip people get from it. If you talk to someone who's taken it, you'll hear stories of waking dreams, intense visuals, and sometimes life-changing realisations. So is this ayahuasca shit supposed to do anything, or...? Yeah, man, trust me, it just comes on a little slow. You might have seen the soulmate scene where the Bondi hipsters try ayahuasca. 
Or maybe you remember Ben Lee's album from a few years back, which he called Ayahuasca, Welcome to the Work. Well, Ben Lee is in that folk singer with Benjamin Button's disease. Stories in pop culture and from wide-eyed travellers who've tried the stuff on holidays in the Amazon have fueled a booming industry in Peru, where Indigenous people have been drinking the stuff for centuries. In Peru, where most of the ayahuasca tourism is going on, the problem there is more retreat centres are opening up because there's a greater demand. Dr Charles Grobe is speaking to you on a shitty Skype line from California where he works as a professor of psychiatry at UCLA. He says the demand can lead to shonky brews being peddled in the Amazon. While some individuals are fortunate in working with facilitators at retreat centres that have uh, there was just a high level of expertise and care, not everyone is so fortunate. Last year, news broke that a man had stabbed another man to death at an ayahuasca retreat in Peru. Dr Grobe warns that how much you take, where you take it, and who gives it to you are super important in determining how dangerous it is. And he says it can be particularly sketchy for people with underlying mental health issues. If individuals have underlying psychological vulnerabilities, they are at greater risk. And um, with some people, you, you know, I have made the recommendation that it would be too risky to uh, have this experience. Usually we put on shuffle, but sometimes there's a track here or there that's experimental and doesn't quite work out. Back at Craig's house, and I'm hearing why these guys are into ayahuasca. Again and again, I hear stories about feeling like something was missing, about looking for answers. I was just kind of barreling through, like I'd go to uni and be like, oh, I can't wait for Friday and I look forward to Friday and I just want to go home and smoke some pot and get takeaway and pass out and be really comfortable doing that and doing that week after week after week after week. Hack. Triple J. You're listening to Hack and Sarah McVeigh's taking you into a share house where they make their own ayahuasca. Who needs a shaman? Who needs a Peruvian jungle when you can do it in the Australian suburbs? Uh, Tookie in Sydney says, lol, vomiting and involuntary defecation is healthy apparently. Another person says, I don't need to, I don't need a hallucinogenic to shit myself. Thank you for that. Uh, Georgia in South Yarra says, I did ayahuasca in the Colombian jungle with my boyfriend three years ago. Uh, he had a spectacular trip. When we woke up the next day, he was wearing the shaman's sweatpants. Turns out he'd soiled his own and she gave him a pair of hers and had his wash and drying in the sun the next day. Very courteous, all-inclusive service. Wouldn't recommend it without a shaman, though. Yeah, we are talking about people that are making it and doing it themselves in Australia. And in a moment, we're going to talk to an emergency doctor to see how dangerous this is. Uh, let's get back to Craig's share house where Sarah's watching as the guys prepare to drink ayahuasca. So tonight we're going to drink ayahuasca, which is made of ayahuasca vine that is grown in Australia with an acacia tree, which is also a native tree. Yeah, so before we start, it's useful and quite productive to talk about why we're doing this. I'll start. My intention is to connect with the plant. Just drinking regularly allows for observation of what's going on inside. Uh, my intention's pretty simple uh, tonight. I had a fairly rocky three or four months after kind of getting released from my place of work. So it's kind of led me down a bit of a small spiral and sort of questioning my own self-worth. And tonight for me is also about observing those things and what's maybe kind of, you know, brought me to this point. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, let's see how it goes. Yeah, I'm excited. 
Here in Australia, ayahuasca is illegal and ceremonies happen in secret. But in Brazil, where Dr Grobe studied ayahuasca, a church called the UDV and a couple of others have legal right to use ayahuasca as a sacrament. It's not that easy to join these churches. You, you have to know someone who's already involved to give you a, provide a personal uh, invitation and there's an interview process. The UDV church has branches in North America too. In 2006, they won a Supreme Court case allowing them to use ayahuasca as part of their religious practice. And that was a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court. So that was a very, very big step forward, establishing the UDV and, and, and really ensuring safety for its uh, practitioners. This year, the Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia received an application to change the classification of DMT, which is an active ingredient in ayahuasca. The hope was that ayahuasca could be made legal for religious purposes here too. The TGA rejected the application. Some of the reasons were that mixing the drug with antidepressants could be risky and that not enough is known about potential for abuse. I think it's okay to detach from that kind of cultural aspect of it. I don't know how important that actually is. But the guys at this lounge room ceremony aren't connected to the church and say they don't need a traditional shaman to take them on their trip. I think it's important to have someone that can sort of help you all the way through it, but I think that's essentially what a shaman does best and that can be that can be anyone with the right kind of attitude towards it. Dr. Charles Grobe again. These are evidently intrepid adventurers, but there there is a risk in the do-it-yourself process. I'm in the lounge room and it's really dark. The guys are all lying down next to each other on blow-up camping mattresses all in a row, waiting for the ayahuasca to take effect. Can you feel anything? Yeah. Faint. Subtle decluttering. A few things that I'm thinking about. <laughs> Decent communion with the spirit of the plant. For about four hours, I hung out, watching as the guys just lay there, super still. To me, it kind of looked like nothing was happening. But when they came to a little later, I heard that for them, it couldn't have been further from the truth. It's been a pretty wild night for everyone, I think, myself included. The actual experience wasn't, I couldn't have predicted it, you know, it hit me in ways that I really wouldn't have expected. At one point when it was really coming on strongly, I felt like I got this message from my brain or the plant or whatever just saying, like, don't stress about things that haven't happened yet. And it just, like, kept, like, flashing in my mind. Did you take anything from tonight? This, like, pretty overwhelming, actually, sense of, like, love and gratitude, which is pretty mind-blowing. It was really overwhelming. It has undepressed me at points. It's like it's made me happy again. Hack. I'm so tired. I feel like I'm going to sleep for an eternity. Triple J. Thanks for speaking to me. Thanks, Sarah. A wild night, huh? In their minds, at least. Psychedelic slumber party there. Sarah McVie with that story from inside a suburban ayahuasca share house. Dr. David Caldercott is an emergency doctor who's outspoken on drug policy. David, thanks for joining us. Is what they're doing really dangerous? 
Ah, uh, look, it could be. Um, the, the nothing that you take to change your perception of reality is a hundred percent safe. Uh, a lot depends on, as Charlie Grobe was saying, the set and the setting in which it's consumed, uh, and the individuals taking them. So, if you have an underlying uh, psychiatric problem, or you have uh, a couple of different uh, medical conditions, all of those things could make it very dangerous for you. Um, but it is a a, a ceremony that uh, now probably millions of people have experienced. Uh, and there is some idea that it might actually have some therapeutic value uh, in the long run. So what could go wrong? Well, I guess you could divide up the things that could go wrong uh, into the physical, um, which include one of the, the side effects of DMT, which is the active ingredient of this um, ceremony, is that it raises your blood pressure um, and uh, it increases your heart rate. If you have underlying problems to do with your cardiovascular system, you could be in a lot of trouble. Um, if you are taking it therapeutically because you have, uh, say, depression or post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety disorder and you're already on medications for those things, you can get some pretty nasty uh, interactions, uh, all of which uh, in, in certain circumstances could be lethal. And then behaviorally, I guess, um, we've seen the problems that have occurred elsewhere. Um, if you uh, lose your plot, then you're, um, you're potentially going to hurt yourself with those around you. On the text line, one person says, I've been doing it for six years and using these plants without a shaman is like doing open heart surgery without a heart surgeon. What do you make of that, David? Is it important that you have really experienced people around if you're doing this kind of thing? Like, is there a reason most people go to South America to do this? Or but this is something that this is something that's evolved over several hundred years, and it's traditionally been used in uh, in a sacramental way, spiritually. Uh, and the people who know most about doing it are the people who've been doing it for the longest. And they have what we would describe in a modern era as a, as a sitter, someone who is watching what is going on and is making sure that people are staying safe. Um, if that's not being done, then that could be potentially a very dangerous environment. Right, okay. So in the case of these guys where they didn't have someone who wasn't using it sitting around supervising them, they were taking quite a risk. For anybody using any drug anywhere, um, somebody, and that includes alcohol, somebody somewhere should be staying sober to make sure that everybody's okay. On the text line, shamans train for years to guide you through this potentially healing or damaging world. Um, speaking of the healing power that some people say it has, um, I guess from a medical point of view, can that be true? I mean, do you have any understanding of how it could be a, a healing drug? Well, I think we're seeing a, a great deal of uh, research being done right now on the rehabilitation of hallucinogenic and uh, psychoactive drugs in a medicinal environment. So obviously medical cannabis, as your previous section was talking about, uh, but um, MDMA or ecstasy, psilocybin from mushrooms. And uh, we certainly know that there are many veterans from North America traveling south to participate in this to address their issues of anxiety and PTSD. So there could actually be something in there it's just a question of setting up some sort of collaboration between, say, for example, the Church of the UDV and, uh, and medical practitioners to see where it could be used in a therapeutic environment. Yeah, well, it's hard to imagine that happening, but earlier in the show we were <laughs> talking about medicinal cannabis and, you know, the first person in Australia actually acquiring it legally for that purpose. So things do change over time. David, great to have you on the show again. Thanks for joining us. Anytime, Tom.